The Mac Observer's Mac Geek app, episode 906 for Monday, December 20th, 2021. Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where you send in your tips, you send in your questions, you send in your cool stuff found. We take all of those things, we string them together into an agenda, hopefully succeeding in setting us up for, su- for success and success being that each and every one of us learns at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include... Boxofawesome.com or code MGG gets you 20% off your first box. ZocDoc.com slash MGG where you can download their free app today. HunterDouglas.com slash MGG to take advantage of all of the stuff they've got going on there. And Upstart.com slash MGG where you can consolidate your debt. And we'll talk more about each and every one of these in a few minutes here in the, you know, interspersed throughout the show. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in balmy, Fairflow, Connecticut, this is John F. Brown. I know. It's like for here, if here you know, we're, we're recording this on Friday the 17th, ahead of a weekend of a snowstorm uh, of sorts that he at least predicted here in New Hampshire. But uh, but yeah, it's like it was like, what, 50 degrees or something outside. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. But I'll take it. You know, it's fine. It's fine. How, uh, other than the, uh, the weather, how are things for you, Mr. Braun? Yeah. Just met. Hanging in there. All right. Well, you know, it is the holiday season. It's not always easy. You know, it's like, there's always, you know, things to navigate. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, and, it, and, you know, with the, uh, all the craziness going on still makes navigating, slightly more complex for many of us so yeah you know it's how it be thankfully the show is still here as as much change is afoot the show is still here wait wait if change is afoot is afoot enough to be considered change (laughs) i don't know i don't know uh and is change feet or is change only a foot i don't know man I don't know. Could be either. It, I could. It, I guess it depends. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, let's let's. Uh, shall we get into some quick tips, or should we should we have fun with with no. idioms and is that an idiom or is that just a a, a, a phrase? It could it be an idiom? Right. It's a thing. I don't know. I, I'm an idiot about this stuff. So <clears throat> I'm an idiom idiot. All right. Save us, John. <laughs> Well, Robert's going to save us. Um, Robert says, you may know this. I didn't. I have my music in Plex. I'm also a Sonos customer. I added Plex as a source for music in Sonos. That works, but I don't like the Sonos search and the way it shows only one album at a time. Here's what I learned. You can stream from Plex to Sonos. Open a Plex on your phone or tablet or their new app called Plex Amp, which is dedicated to music. Navigate Plex to your music. In there, you will have various filtering options. I like to show albums sorted by artist. 
In the upper right-hand corner next to the search is a box with some lines. If you click on that, you get a list of devices, which includes AirPlay and Sonos. Pick the Sonos device you want and play music to it. I'm still trying to understand how this works, but I really like the three albums in a row scrolling interface of Plex. By the way, another quick tip is that it looks like you can use Plexamp to stream from Plex to CarPlay. So this is all exciting. I knew about the last one, which is also a great tip. The Plex Amp app, which in order to use it, you have to be a Plex Pass customer. That's not part of Plex's free offering. Uh, but I highly, if you're using Plex, I always recommend people start with Plex for free because you can set it all up and, and truly use it. And then decide, you know, if you wind up using it a bunch, then become a Plex Pass customer so that you can do things like Plex Amp and offline downloads for like watching on the airplane and, you know, things like that. Uh, and Plex Amp works fantastic with CarPlay. I love it. I had no idea about this uh, Plex being able to stream directly to Sonos. I'd done it via AirPlay because many, but not all, of my Sonos speakers are AirPlay capable. And so you could just do it that way. But uh, when you put this tip in the in the agenda, I was like, what? And so I launched the app and because I have Sonos devices and I have Plex. And uh, sure enough, there's a like link Plex to Sonos, you know, step that you go through. It's like any other OAuth thing where, you know, it's like it brings you to the Sonos site and you have to grant Plex permission to do the yada yada. And it takes all of about, you know, 12 seconds. And then all of my Sonos stuff started showing up in that list. And this is this is one of those things that shows us the uh, sheltered box that we Apple users live in, because if because Apple Music does not let you do this, um, mm. it, it, it will it will you can you can play Apple Music from the Sonos app, but you can't play to Sonos from Apple Music other than AirPlay. Right. If it's AirPlay, it's fine, but you can't control your Sonos with the Apple music app in, in this same way that Plex can, but also Spotify happily can and other things can. It's just that Apple doesn't want to make that integration happen. That's my interpretation. I, I don't know that I've heard anything about that behind the scenes, but I mean, obviously Sonos would happily do this if they've done it with Plex and Spotify and others. So I'm guessing Apple's the holdout here and it's not all that surprising. Apple likes to be super in control of, Everything. I don't know. Maybe it seems weird. Well, you know what it is. Apple has that HomePod thing. So maybe uh, maybe they don't want to, you know, murky the waters, as it were. Is murky the waters an idiom or a phrase? I don't know. See? Don't know. Don't know. Yeah, I should get one of those little HomePods. Yeah. My list of things to do. Buy two. They're small. I don't know. And then I could do stereo. You could do stereo or you could do multi-room. <laughs> I mean, either like, right. Like either one. Yeah. Cool. All right. We're having fun here. Uh, hopefully you are too. Ooh, we have a quick tip from, from Tony. Um, he says, I never thought of this uh, trick with messages, but it works great. Uh, when talking to Siri, you can say Siri reply with audio uh, and what it does is it allows you to record a voice memo or voice message to send to someone via messages without having to like you. That's the trick to, to triggering that with your voice. So when text translation messes up as it so often does, 
Just say reply with audio and send someone an at your actual voice saying the thing that you want to say. Uh, I like that. I never I never thought about it. And and he also points out, he says, um, I, I can also say, Siri, tell my wife with audio I'm on my way soon. And what will happen is Tony's wife, in this case, would get a message in Tony's voice saying I'm on my way soon, which is pretty darn good. So. I like it. That's pretty cool. I, I love these little, you know, it, it solves some of that, like texting from the car kind of thing is really where I would, I think I would use this a lot because texting, like when I, I've gotten pretty comfortable with it, like, you know, replying to a, a text and, and saying, Hey, comma, John exclamation point. Great to hear from you. Period. I'm looking forward to seeing you next week, period. You know, and like it, that, that sort of rolls off my tongue without really even thinking about it. But mm. um, and then it reads it back to me and it usually gets it right, you know, uh, but um, it, that's somewhat pedantic. And if you want to say something long, it's might be better to just actually say the words. So I like it. That's good, Tony. Thanks, man. OK, uh, what do you got? Oh, you got look more? at this. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. In the chat room, our friend uh, Dave says HomePod minis are on sale now for $79.99. Wow. Oh. Better jump on that. That's a good deal. That's a really good deal. Buy three. Seriously. Like, that's a, like, you could, you could deck your house out for way less than 500 bucks. That's mm -hmm. not a bad deal. Huh. 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 Then they sound, I, I will, I, I do not, I had one and I returned it. But only because I, I I'm not interested in in changing platforms, right? Like I I I don't I have more Sonos speakers throughout the house than I know what to do with, truly. And I realize that's that comes across like a complaint. It's not. I lead a charmed life, but um, I just didn't need another yet another platform to have to deal with. And uh, and we have the A lady all over the house, so that's our voice assistant that we've standardized on. And and again, it just wasn't you know for us. Uh, but it like, it sounds good. I, I, I would, I would happily listen to music on that thing. Uh, so it, you know, I, I, it definitely has my endorsement as a, a decent, especially for, you know, I, I would say a hundred bucks, but now today, 80 bucks, I would, I would say that, you know, it's well, it, it's a good speaker with, you know, built in Siri. So there you go. <sighs> cool. No. All right, and we have a reminder here from uh, Donna. Um, kind of gruesome, but um, um, the iPhone feature to turn on before you die. The new legacy contact settings in iOS 15.2 let you specify who can access your Apple iCloud information after you die. And here's how to set it up. And we'll link to an article that'll tell you how to do that. Sure. So get on that before you die. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that fits our change as a foot theme. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, because that is one of those changes that sort of happens. But uh yeah. Huh? Good. All right. Yeah, we've and we've got a link in the uh in the show notes for that to Apple's page about it. Cool. Um back in episode nine oh four, so we had a special episode nine oh five that released last week with Jeremy Butcher from Apple, which was Wonderful to have. And I, I hope you all listened and learned as much about uh, Apple's uh, uh, 
like business essentials. There it is. I think they're doing a great thing there where they merge support and all that. So a week ago in episode 904, we were talking, I was talking about in cool stuff found, I was talking about my new Neato D10 robot vacuum, uh, which we're still loving. And I mentioned how I ran it at night at 3 a.m., but only works for people that don't sleep on the same floor of the house that their vacuum is on because, you know, you don't want that thing roaming around in your um, you know, in your in your bedroom while you're trying to sleep. Well, Rob has an answer, and it might even be a better way of doing it anyway. So, Rob says, uh, I, "I'm not sure if this would work with your model of RoboBack. It it will, uh, I'll, and I'll talk about that. But uh, he says with uh, with my Roomba, he says I have it integrated with Ift Ifttt and have an automation set for when I leave my home geofence with my iPhone, the vacuum runs." And when it notices that I have returned to my home geofence, it tells the vacuum to stop running and dock itself into the base. Might want to consider doing that. He says our dogs go ballistic at night when we are in the bedroom trying to sleep downstairs and the vacuum tries to run upstairs. Just a thought. Yeah. I, and what's in, really interesting is basically the same day the that uh, Rob wrote this. I got a notification on my phone from uh, from the A Lady app from you know Amazon's uh, Al Exa, and uh, it was offering to do the same automation and geofence my vacuum to do exactly the same thing. So uh, I, you could do it with Ift, obviously, but uh, the Amazon app will also do a geofenced sort of thing for you. Uh, so that's I like that idea. Run the vacuum when you're not home. Hmm. Interesting, 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 fun. I love this stuff. I love these automations like the Just the simple ones that make life, you know, just just a little bit better. The best kind of automations are the ones that you set up and get tweaked perfectly and then forget about them. And like a year later, someone asks you, hey, what automations do you run? Like, you know what? I have no idea, but they run and I love it. So I can see that easily becoming one. You just come home and your house is always beautifully vacuumed. <laughs> that would be amazing. Um, I have, uh, I have fully adopted iOS 15's focus into my life and workflow, John. And, uh, okay. and one thing that I uh, wanted to share the, the idea uh, and was that this morning, the, the morning that we're recording this, my son is on a uh, uh, on a plane while waiting to take off. We just got a text from him saying that he uh, they're delayed by 15 minutes or something, waiting for one more passenger, which will be the one sitting in the middle seat next to him, according to him, which sort of stinks. He thought he had it empty. But um, I like to put my phone on do not disturb when I sleep at night, but knowing that my son had to get up early on the other side of the country and, and, you know, get a uh, Uber or whatever, and get to the airport with his cat and all this stuff. I was like, well, I definitely want to be able to have him text me and, and wake me up if necessary, but I don't just want to not turn on, do not disturb. And this is what focus is all about. In fact, I had already created a focus group that I call nuclear, um, it nuclear for the family, not nuclear for like the, the option, uh, the, um, and what nuclear says is that three people can interrupt me, my wife and, and my two kids. So our nuclear family and no one else. So before I went to sleep last night, I turned off my sleep 
focus that sort of automatically comes on for me and turned on nuclear and and it actually offered it was like do you want me to you know turn this off at at 7 a.m or what i'm like no i i might want to sleep a little past 7 a.m if i'm allowed and uh so i i you know i just had it be on and i'll turn it off when when we're done with the show here but um but that way text from my family can get through and and emails from my family, like whatever you know it just lets them through text slack it like it knows which is very cool the way it it sort of offers to link a contact. Like I got a Slack message from you the other day, John, and it was like, do you want me to link this to John F. Braun for focus purposes? And it was like, yeah, actually I do. That sounds like a good thing. So, uh, so just thinking about different ways of using focus, this nuclear option, you could call it the family options. If, if you know, if you don't like using the word nuclear, uh, but uh, you know, I figured I'd share. That's what we do on quick tips here. Have you been messing with focus at all? Mr. Braun? No, I recommend it. It's a, you know, it's one of those things. I, when you first asked me about it on the show here, when, you know, I was beta testing, uh, iOS 15, I was like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm not, no. And then I don't know. I had something come up where I like dug into it. It was like, ah, I see the light now. Okay. Yes. I definitely want to integrate this into my life. Like I have a podcasting focus. And but I can't really use it yet because I have yet to upgrade the machine in the studio to Monterey, but I'm pretty much ready to do that so that I can have my podcasting focus, which would actually stop my family from getting through, but allow you and my you know other co-hosts that I work with, like, you know, Paul at GigGab and Shannon at Small Business Show to get through in that way, you know, it just keeps things keeps things from being distracting like I am now with all the messages coming in from my family about my son's flight delay. No middle seat taking off now. Good news. See, these these messages are uh, not always terrible to get. All right. Um, we have a bunch of tips and questions and and then maybe some cool stuff found at the end that I want to get to. The next thing I want to get to, John, though, is our first couple of sponsors, if that's OK by you. Excellent. All right. Hey, who doesn't love to live well? To be perfectly at ease in comfort and in style. Well, our sponsor, Hunter Douglas, can help you do just that with their innovative window shade designs, gorgeous fabrics and control systems so advanced they can be scheduled to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day. Smart stuff. Love it. it they, they really like they make it so these shades diffuse harsh sunlight and cast this glow across the room that looks amazing. They make it so that you can enjoy the view outside while protecting your privacy inside. They've got this superior insulation in the shades that provide uh, you with warmer uh, feelings in the winter, cooler in the summer, and they lower your utility bills at the same time. They really know what they're doing. And Hunter Douglas has their power view technology, which is what you connect to with your phone and all that so that their shades can be set to automatically reposition for the perfect balance of light, privacy and insulation morning, noon and night. So live beautifully with Hunter Douglas, enjoying greater convenience, enhanced style and increased comfort in your home throughout the day. Visit HunterDouglas.com slash MGG today for your free style gets smarter design guide with fresh takes, creative ideas and smart solutions for dressing your windows. That's HunterDouglas.com slash MGG for your free design guide. Our thanks to Hunter Douglas for sponsoring this episode. 
Next up is Bespoke Post with their Box of Awesome. This winter, you can upgrade your daily routine with Bespoke Post and their new seasonal lineup of their must-have Box of Awesome collections. Bespoke Post partners with small businesses and emerging brands to bring you unique goods every month. I'm looking right now. They have the Hibernate Box, which are these uh, leather slippers that just look super cozy. That seems kind of amazing to me. They have the Parlor Box, which is a great way to like showcase your best booze so that, you know, you get the people coming over to the house. You can make it look nice. And they've got this weekender. I have one of these things that they sent me. It's a, a carry all great bag, really strong the way it, it like they, it's got a hinge on it, but it's a it's like a duffel more than a duffel. It's really cool. you got to check these things out because they know what they're doing over there. No matter what you're into, Box of Awesome's got you covered. So from fr- those winter cocktails, like I said, to cozy threads and even camping gear essentials, Box of Awesome has collections for every part of your life. To get started, it's awesome. <laughs> no pun intended. You take the quiz at boxofawesome.com and then your answers will help them pick the right box of awesome for you. They release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories. It's free to sign up and you can skip a month or cancel at any time. And each box only costs 45 bucks, but it has over $70 worth of gear inside because of the way they're able to do their partnerships. And plus, like I said, with Box of Awesome, you're supporting those small businesses, which is great. Get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code MGG at checkout. That's boxofawesome.com code MGG for 20% off your first box. And our thanks to Box of Awesome for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, let's uh, let's go to Dusty, shall we? Indeed. So um, Dusty's going to help solve your problems maybe i, I my problems they're... definitely i'm stoked mm-hmm. about this yeah um so dusty says since upgrading to monterey i have had this issue happen twice the search in mail just refused to search i would enter, er, enter a term or email address and no results i could launch safari go to my webmail and search through the webmail interface before i would get a single result Uh, The first time I went through several painful steps and something in them fixed it, including forcing Spotlight to re-index, rebuilding my inbox, and even deleting my mail account. Honestly, I don't recall which one fixed it. I did it again this morning and found this article, which we'll link to, and it has um, uh, several of the steps uh, that he used before, but it had one that I had not. Shut down the app and relaunch while holding the shift button. This worked. I guess that clears the state, clears the slate. (laughs) And it may never work again, but wow, that was simple. So, okay. I didn't know about that. Huh? Yeah. Okay. So I have this problem, I would say maybe once a week. And, Mm -hmm. and for me, the solution has been quit the app and relaunch. And that usually, you know, frees things up and then search works again. Uh, holding down the shift key, I, I, if memory serves, that is also the way to tell the app to forget about open windows, right? Like, like there's that, there was that whole thing that came up. Maybe it was, was it Catalina? I don't know. A couple of OSs ago, there's this, this feature, you know, where like you can be in the middle of pages or whatever and quit pages and relaunch and all your docs, like, you know, come right back up, even the untitled ones, right? Like the ones you hadn't saved. And, uh, and I think holding down the shift key cleans that 
you know, saved state out to uh, to Dusty's point. So, I, 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 but it must do other things too. So this is interesting. I'm definitely going to remember this for the future. So, uh, yeah, this is, I love this. I love it. Hopefully it, hopefully I get to use this and then never have the problem again. That would be my personal preference, but maybe I'm just asking for too much change. All right. Yeah. More on this or are we, uh, we good. Uh, we're good. I've, yeah, I don't think I've had search issues with mail. If anything, I don't like the latest version because when I do a search, it finds stuff in other mailboxes. <laughs> it's like, I don't want you to do that. So you might already know this, but I'll share it uh, for you mm -hmm. or for anybody listening. But when you do a search in mail, the search is, um, I'll, I'll say it's live in that once you've put your search parameters in, you can start clicking on different mailboxes and it will narrow the search to only those, or you can go to the top of the list and mm. choose all, and then it will, you know, search everything. And it also works if you click the mailboxes, like if, if you've put, and maybe this is another quick tip on, on its own, but you can put mailboxes up in the favorites bar of mail, just like you can in Safari, very similar thing. And you can click those to do searches too. So I have like our MGG, you know, uh, regular mailbox for feedback at MacGeekUp.com. And then I have our premium mailbox for premium at MacGeekUp.com in my favorites up there so I can bounce around. And I'm often like searching for a thing because not only are your questions in there, but our replies are also archived in there. So it's easy to kind of find. That's our way of doing it. Maybe one of the 2022 changes going with this theme will be that we will finally get a way of searching the show notes for all of you. In fact, based on some things that I know about what I think is going to happen with a couple of like infrastructure things, I think that might actually just become a byproduct of that. So that might, Oh, I didn't even think about this. Huh? Yeah. All right. So see, see, it's good. But anyway, yes, you can. So you can filter it to a mailbox and even filter it to a smart mailbox. So. I don't know. Are we done with that one? Mm -hmm. Did I get all crazy? Okay. All right. I'm back. Elliot needs help. Sitting in an easy chair five feet away from my Synology router. Why is it that my laptop usually connects to the slower, more distant access point of a Netgear repeater in another room that is far away and has several walls between us? I use uh, this great utility from Intuit Bits called Wi-Fi Signal. I'd never heard of this before, John. So we're going to have to put that in the show notes. Um and he says, I use uh, Wi-Fi signal to display my uh, my connection quality and speed in the menu bar. My goodness. How do we not know about this thing? Uh, I feel like we need to take a detour onto this. And he says, I've been noticing this change since I started using my new M1 Pro MacBook Pro in Monterey. This was not the behavior of my previous Intel machine. Upgrading the OS, rebooting the router, resetting Wi-Fi in network settings, toggling Wi-Fi off and on. Rebooting the Mac seemed to make no dis difference. Interestingly, other devices such as iPhone or iPad from the same location connect through the Wi-Fi signal of the Synology router. Thanks for any assistance. So this is frustrating. I dug in a little bit more with uh, with Elliot on this because I wanted to make sure we understood the scenario right. Although there's lots to share that's not just specific about 
Elliot, he has several Synology mesh points as well as the Synology router. And then he has also added a Netgear repeater to this. Now, with Wi-Fi, it is ultimately up to the client device to make a decision about which access point to connect to. If all the SSIDs are the same, uh, then that decision is is just made based on what it sees about these other devices. If the SSIDs are different, then it will choose the one at the top of the list. If you go into system preferences, network, Wi-Fi, advanced Wi-Fi. I know it's a lot, uh, but that's where that list is. And you can reorder the list. Whatever's at the top, that's what it's going to prefer. You know, it's a top down kind of thing. So I dug in and, and asked Elliot if his Netgear extender had its own unique SSID, its own unique name, because that way uh, it would explain why if his MacBook Pro had that at the top of its list, well, it would choose that if it sees it, even if it's the, you know, further away than one of the others. It turns out, no, uh, his Netgear repeater shares the same SSID as his Synology mesh network. So that's where things start to get interesting, because, as I said, ultimately, the um, the, the you know, the client device, in this case, the MacBook Pro is the thing that decides. Right, John. However, a mesh network can give hints to the device, suggesting that it choose one thing over another. And I'm wondering if having a repeater on the same SSID that the mesh does not know about might be the source of confusion here because I don't, we don't know exactly what hints it's getting from the mesh network, but it's possible it's getting some hints that then don't reconcile with this one sort of rogue SSID. And so the MacBook pro is like, all right, well y'all can't decide what to do with the other one. So I'm just going to connect to this one over here. Um, I, again, it's it's really hard to say because, you know, we aren't programmers at Synology or Netgear, so we're not exactly certain what these things are telling your devices. So I have a couple of ideas, John. I, I mean, you, do you agree with my with my with the, the, the premise that I've got going on here? Yes. OK. All right. I mean, if you don't like that, that, that would be frankly, it would be even better. No, I did. And I actually did this in the past. I had a Netgear extender, but it connected to, um, yeah, until I got a, a beacon, uh, era beacon, I right. actually had an extender because I was getting terrible coverage in one room, but it always connected to that. No matter where you were. Um, when I was close to it. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I got I, it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I haven't seen this confusing behavior, but I, yeah, I think I see where you're going. Yeah. So I, I, I think, I, I think this, this, you know, one of these things is not like the other, uh, which was that Sesame Street or the electric company where that, that song came from. One of these things is, uh, anyway, th I think that's, that's the crux of this issue here. So there's a couple ways to solve it. One is to replace it with a, you know, another Synology mesh point so that they are all talking with one another. I think that would probably solve this, although that requires spending some money. And we like to try and solve things with the equipment we have on hand because that's more fun sometimes. Uh, the other thing to do would be to swap 
and move that extender somewhere else and 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 swap its position with a Synology mesh point uh, that, you know, you may still run into the same wonkiness, but you know what your, you know, work patterns and life patterns are. So you could say, all right, well, if I know it's going to try and prioritize this thing, why don't I put this thing near wherever I mostly am with that device? And maybe that's a way to solve it, right? Like just leaning in, embracing the problem and, and going with it that way. So that would be another way. The third way would be to change the configuration of that Netgear extender and set it to have its own SSID, its own Wi-Fi name, so that you can uh, choose when you are connecting to it or not connecting to it. And, and you know, that may or may not wind up being a helpful solution, but it, it, like these are the things that we have available to us. It's hard, hard coming up with a, you know, the one solution when we're not there to troubleshoot Wi-Fi because so much of it is is location based. But other than trashing the 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 extender or maybe eBay, the extender and, and you know, use some of those funds to fuel the purchase of another Synology mesh point. Although, you know, we know that Synology is coming with their Wi-Fi six stuff uh, in the first quarter. So maybe we want to wait on that stuff. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, those are my thoughts on this. Yeah. Yeah. So if it were me, well, I, you know, as I said earlier in the show, I lead a charmed life. I, Wi-Fi stuff shows up at my house. So uh, I, I, I choose to use uh, same branded. I, I, I like if you're going to have a mesh, take advantage of the mesh. That, that really is my my like if money is is no object here, take advantage of the mesh and only just live within the mesh. That, that's going to work better in almost every case. All right. You know, while we're on the uh, the subject of mesh, John, Joe has a mesh question. Uh, let's see. Let me see if I can if I can read this. He says he has a, uh, a Nokia mesh system, uh, a Beacon 3 with four devices. Nokia's Beacon 3 is carrier grade mesh now sold only through carriers. OK, uh, he says in my home network, I have 13 wired connections. 33 wireless on 2.4 gigahertz and 12 on five gigahertz uh, and likely would have another 15 uh, wireless devices if they would all work at the same time. He says, I'm having lots of Internet issues as of late, mostly Wi-Fi, but general Internet as well. OK, he says, I'm thinking about switching to maybe the Eero mesh, but it's expensive. And I want uh, to share some details here and, and get your advice. Some of his issues are uh, my smart home devices will randomly not work. Most of the time, he says, I can unplug and replug them and they will work again. But that's not reliable. And the same ones seem to be the ones that always go out. There's about six of them that seem to sort of float in and out. Uh, it seems unlikely that all of these six would have hardware issues. I agree with that. He says, I use HomeKit devices mostly. And so when the devices do not work, it implies in-home connection issues, it seems, since HomeKit doesn't go out to the Internet to activate a device like Amazon and Google do, as I understand it. You're right. Your HomeKit devices might also support Amazon or Google and therefore go out to the Internet to activate themselves. But for HomeKit, you're right. It's talking amongst your network uh, there, by and large, unless you've got a HomeKit hub, and then that might talk out to the Internet so you can do things remotely. 
Since I have three TiVo units and often will in-house stream from the TiVo downstairs to the TiVo upstairs, lately during a two-hour-long movie, the connection dropped maybe four to six times, requiring us to reselect and restart the movie. Could be the TiVos, but along with the other internet-related issues, it could be bandwidth or perhaps the beacon processing or something. AirPlay from an iPhone works poorly at best. So, he says... uh, I know a lot of smart home devices might be an issue uh, and that they aren't working all the time and talk, taking bandwidth. I think both of you guys have TiVo, so maybe you have some experience here, but I'm just looking for specific thoughts before I spend 500 bucks replacing my network. Okay. So he, he also asked, he said, um, the beacon three info from this, this uh, Nokia mesh uh, indicates that it can handle up to 64 devices. Although it isn't clear if this is the total number of devices, wired and wireless, or just wireless. Is this a normal number? What does this limit mean? So those limits are generally ballpark figures that reflect the capabilities of the CPU in an average environment, right? So for every device that you have that's actively talking on the network, especially if it's talking across the internet, The CPU in your main router needs to think about that traffic, process that traffic, route it in and out back to the right thing. Because, you know, when you talk to the network, it's the Internet. Every device in your house talks as one IP data that comes back in has to be sifted by your router so that it knows to assign it to the right uh, devices coming in. That's what NAT network address translation does. And so you need a CPU that can handle it. And when they say 64 devices, that's generally what they mean. Many people have more devices connected. If you if you wind up overtaxing the system, you'll see it slow down or things like that. But I don't think you just see devices fall off. And uh, so and with what you added up, you know, before your 15 extra devices, you're at like 63 or something. And so with the 15 extra devices, you're at 78. Okay. Um, and this reminds me, John, of an issue that we talked about back in like April post like lockdown when we were, when we had our first band rehearsal here uh, in the studio and my bandmates showed up and couldn't get their iPads online, but they could connect. Like it would, it would see the Wi-Fi network password hadn't changed. Uh, you know, everything was all good. They just weren't getting IP addresses. And it dawned on me that. I might have run out of addresses in my DHCP pool. And so I quickly, you know, after we finished playing a song or something, I came over to the computer, which is the same one that's right here, and went into my router and opened it up. And instantly everybody was like, oh, whatever you did, that fixed it. That was great. And that explains some of the smart home issues that I was having that are very similar to what Joe is describing here. So check to see how many it's possible you, you know, your DHCP pool is set to 50, right? And that would completely explain all of the symptoms that you're seeing here, uh, including the airplay stuff. Although airplay is a little wonky sometimes anyway. Uh, so that's where I would start. Check the DHCP pool and either way, I, I would just start by expanding it, you know, add, if you can add 50 devices to it or, or move it from, you know, a net mask of 255.255.255.0 to 255.255.254.0. That will open up a whole other, I forget the way to talk about it, but it's like a slash 23 instead of a slash 24, I think is, 
is the right way to say it, or it might be completely wrong way, but mm-hmm. find a way to add more addresses to your DHCP pool. Even, even if you just have one, you know, even if it is just three, two fifty fives and a zero, like that should still allow you a couple hundred addresses in your pool, but it might be that your router is set to only do 50. And if that's the case, you know, open it up to a hundred, see what happens. Um, failing that, but I really like, that's really where I would start, but failing that, do you have any switches in your network? Like, and and when I ask this, I'm really asking, do you have multiple switches in your network at different locations? Is anything hardwired throughout the house? Is it possible you've created a network loop? Because what you're describing where devices can't talk with each other, you know, you imply like your gut seemed to be telling you that this was a bandwidth issue. Well, if you've got a loop happening on your network, that can chew up all your bandwidth and cause all manner of, you know, wonky problems. So check to see if you've got multiple switches. And I have found even with smart switches that their loopback detection isn't foolproof. Uh, so if you're a fool like me and you create a loop, it doesn't necessarily mean that the switches are just going to magically deal with it for you. They may be a little more graceful in just shutting off that segment of the network, maybe, uh, but it's not like you just get a free pass and you do whatever you want and, and your switches will sort it out for you. That That's generally not the case. And then when you add a mesh network to it, mesh networks are also dealing with loops. In fact, they intentionally create loops and then block them uh, on the fly so that you get this mesh that all the data can pass through, but doesn't loop through. So it's possible your switches in your mesh are not compatible with each other. I don't know anything about this Nokia mesh, so I can't really speak to it, but if it's an enterprise grade mesh, it may be expecting enterprise grade switches and everybody to be speaking, you know, some flavor of spanning tree protocol or rapid spanning tree protocol or something like that. And if you do have switches, but they're dumb switches and they don't support that, that could also be part of the problem here. Um, are the offending devices connected to or near a specific access point? You know, Joe mentioned there were six, right? That, that kind of were the flaky ones. It's possible. One of your access points, uh, Wi-Fi is, is just being flaky. And if the, you know, the devices that are affected are near that one, that's another thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I thought those are, well, I mean, I, I don't know, but those, those are where I would start. I don't know. What do you think, John? I'm with you. I like the, um, the idea of, you know, choosing the right IP range. Yeah. Um, so that you have enough, uh, addresses though. Um, I can't remember, like, I don't even know how many things Eero can handle. I don't even think there's a setting on Eero. Well, I mean, there's there's a setting for the size of your DHCP pool for sure. And I think it's I think, well, I mean, there has to be it. it, It's uh, I don't the way I use Eero here. I don't uh, it doesn't handle my routing. My Synology router does. So I can't easily look. Um, Maybe I can sign into my dad's Eero from here, but that might take a little more time than uh, than I want to spend because i do have eero pro so that i can do remote network management 
Let's see, is it going to let me in? Maybe, Euro Pro. Oh, I got to send a code to my email and yada, yada, yada. So this may or may not, this may or may not get there, but you should be able to find it in like um, the the network advanced settings to uh, where you can control, you, you know, what you've got going on. Uh, Brian Monroe in the chat room uh, is helping us out. He says, normally the Eero assigns IP addresses in the 192.168.7 dot uh, x network range so you get 254 addresses in the dhcp pool perfect okay yeah and uh, looking at my dad's network dhcp and nat is in automatic mode so i can't see it from my remote um thing but but yeah it, the the subnet mask is uh yeah i can't see it's not it's not my it's not my place to see it right now so, but I, but Brian Monroe has the answer. So your, your Eero probably is set to, to, to assign, you know, 254 addresses. It, it reserves the one for itself, the one for the broadcast and the rest are all part of the DHC people, which is smart because it, it, you know, it limits the scenarios where this kind of thing could happen. So, yeah, I, you know, I've had a couple people ask me lately what my favorite mesh is. And uh, in fact, I had a friend that found my mesh article, my chiropractor, in fact, found my mesh article. He was like, yeah, he's like, I found that. He's like, it looked like it hadn't been updated in a couple of years, which is true. Um, but what's it, part of the reason it hasn't been updated is it was evolving for a long time. Like I was updating that article monthly and then it, it just got to the point where it was like, yeah, you know, all my advice stays the same. So it hasn't been updated for Wi-Fi six, but the good news is all of the vendors in there except Synology, but we know that's coming, uh, have updated for Wi-Fi six, but my advice remains exactly the same, except I would recommend getting the Wi-Fi six units. If you're going to bother to spend money on, on a, a Wi-Fi right now, get Wi-Fi six and, uh, the Eero and the plume sit at the top of my recommendation list. Uh, you know, you're not going to go wrong with either one of them. There are nuanced scenarios where I like one over the other, but in my house, I, I bounce back and forth between using either of them as sort of my primary Wi-Fi, unless I'm testing something where I, you know, obviously going to, you know, do things differently. But otherwise, I'm either running Eero or Plume in the house. And quite frankly, I'd, I'd lean towards Eero. Um, I, I'm not. Plume is, I mean, Plume is rocking. But they really seem to be focused on the uh, integrated market. Like, you know, they've got their deal with Xfinity, which is great. Uh, so I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Like, I get a more consumer-focused feel from Eero than I do from Plume. But that may be un, an unfair classification. Like, I, so, and I, like, I still, I think at the moment I'm using Plume. And it's, it works you know, it's, it's been great. So I'll probably bounce to Eero at some point in the next couple of weeks, just because I like to go back and forth. And as I said, but, um, and then I'll probably have the Synology thing to test again and, you know, all that's good stuff. So, all right. Yeah. Moving along. Yeah. I'm glad Eero fixed that, uh, WPA three thing. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. I want to test it with that. That's that's that. I knew I, there was a reason in my head why I wanted to test the, uh, the Eero stuff. So yeah, that's fun. I love, I love digging it. It's been a little while since we've had a little mesh 
network segment here. And but uh, Elliot and Joe were unknowing conspirators in in leading us down this path. I like it. It's good. All right. Um, Russell, John wrote in with more of a some more data on this uh, M1 Mac memory leak as it relates to choosing to have a larger mouse cursor, right? Yes. <laughs> Which is still seems bizarre to me, but I'm I, I take us there if you would please. Sure. Um so Russell says um I don't usually listen to the live show as I am working at the time, but last Friday I got the chance to join the live stream and as it turns out it saved me from getting caught. Standing. We love it. Um I have a MacBook Pro, um, M1 Pro, just a few weeks old. 32 gigs of RAM. Yes, 32 gigs. I had been working for a few hours, and up comes this morning. You are running out of memory and swap space from Clean My Mac. Yeah. Uh, Activity Monitor was the next thing to check, and it was showing orange on the memory usage tab. Um, Apple's own spreadsheet numbers was to blame with a lot of... Uh, with. Uh, gigabytes of memory usage and yes i was using a large cursor as it works better on my external screen so i knew the cause immediately so i didn't get caught i knew the answer because i heard it on the show but i am not happy that it was numbers that was the culprit for me that is i think a full fish shake yes or i'm gonna propose a double fish shake um at Apple, that their own program caused the issue. It is really shocking that one of the core application programs supplied by Apple can bloat out the memory on a 32 gigabyte laptop when using the system to change <laughs> the cursor. Uh, fortunately, I got the warning from Clean My Mac before anything locked up solid when we was able to save and quit numbers and restart and continue. Really poor performance from Apple, but the M1 Pro MacBook Pro is a fine computer. Very happy with it in a lot of other ways. Yeah, I hope Apple fixes this, man. Like, I mean, I know they will. I, I, it just, it just seems so bizarre. What a weird thing. I'm assuming they know about it. Maybe, maybe we should make. Uh, maybe I'll send them a note and make sure. Like, <laughs> you guys are aware of this, right? Like, getting to work on it there. Yeah. Yep. All right. We got uh, a couple more tips and questions. We've got a couple of cool stuffs found, and uh, if uh, if it's all right with you, we got a couple more sponsors, John, that I would love to tell everybody about. Excellent. Hey, so if you dread looking at your credit card statements, you are not alone. Debt can feel crippling, but our sponsor, Upstart, can help you on your path to financial freedom. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment. And that's because Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan, and you get to do it all online. What you also get is that Upstart knows you're more than just your credit score, and it is expanding access to affordable credit, because unlike other lenders, Upstart considers your income and your current employment to find you a smarter rate for your loan. And it all happens, uh, it starts anyway, with a five-minute online rate check where you can see your rate upfront for loans between $1,000 and $50,000. And you can receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. So 
Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash MGG. That's upstart.com slash MGG. Don't forget to use our special URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based upon your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Again, go to upstart.com slash MGG and our thanks to Upstart for sponsoring this episode. All right. So has this ever happened to you? You need to see a doctor. You search and find one that looks good. And you wait on hold to book an appointment. You rearrange your schedule. And when you finally go in, you find out, oh, this doctor doesn't take my insurance. There's a solution. Just download the free app from our sponsor, ZocDoc. That is the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. With ZocDoc, you can search for local doctors who take your insurance. You can read verified patient reviews and you can book an appointment in person or video chat get to do it in the app. Never wait on hold with the receptionist again. So whether you need a primary care physician, a dentist, a dermatologist, eye doctor, or other specialist, ZocDoc has you covered. And you're going to do it by going to ZocDoc.com slash MGG to download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free. You get to join millions of people who use ZocDoc every month. I've used it too. It makes perfect sense. They make it super easy. And those reviews are killer, right? Because you really get to see, ah, okay, this is the kind of doctor I like. Or, uh, you know what? Um, What's the next one say? It's good, man. ZocDoc makes healthcare easy. And now is the time to prioritize your health. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MGG and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top-rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. That's the Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com. ZocDoc dot com slash M-G-G. And our thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring this episode. All right. Hey, you know, we I, I, we have our chat room, John, at live.macgeekup.com, where we, uh, you get to, we all get to interact together while we record the show. Uh, you could interact there at other times, too. Nobody's stopping us. It's always open. The door's always open. The light's always on. Uh, Brian, listener Brian Monroe, longtime listener of the show, uh, had some comments about the process that we were talking about with uh, the the uh, Joe and his mesh acting wonky and uh, and and even actually it was more about Elliot and whether or not he should be using a repeater. And I presented all of the options I could think of with that, right? It, one of them was replace it with something and keep it in the mesh. But, you know, there were there were others that that uh, that go through it. And Brian Monroe was like, yeah, but dude, you know that the right answer is to trash that repeater and and put that in, put it, you know, put in something that actually fits the mesh. And I, I agree with that for me. In the troubleshooting process, when we're doing this show or when I'm dealing with clients, I really think about it the same way. I learned over the years that it was way better for me if I, as the consultant, explained all of the options to my, uh, you know, to my client and then said, but if it were my system, here's the one I would choose and here's why. Right. And then but then letting them freely make the choice. And then, of course, I was there to to, you know, be their tool to implement whatever solution they they would want. And and I do the same here in the show. A, a it, it adds to the conversation. It keeps things interesting, but it also gives you that perspective of oh wait a minute okay there are you know four different ways of of approaching this problem. 
this is the one that, that, you know, that guy thinks is best. But for your scenario, you might have other needs or limitations and and that we don't know about. And it's like, oh, yeah, OK, great. You know, so there it goes. And I know we have a lot of consultants who listen to this show. You you are a sizable segment of our audience and one of the most vocal segments of our audience. And it's fantastic. I, I love it. Uh, it's no great surprise. You know, I always say to podcasters, you attract an audience of people like you. And so, you know, the fact that both John and I have done some consulting over the years in various capacities, like, it, of course, we, you know, we attract people that do the same. But um, but, you know, I, I there is a craft to that business. And and it, like I said, a lot of it applies to how we conduct the show here. But uh, but I'm always, you know, working on that craft. The idea for me it was out of necessity. Why? How I came up with it. I mean, I do like to help people. uh but I also like to get paid. And I found that if I was letting the customer drive all the choices, then they wouldn't be unhappy about the choices that I forced upon them. Right. And, and then it would make it easier to get paid because I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm helping them, not just fixing their computer without them involved. And that, that engagement I found to be very, um, well, it was rewarding in not just a financial sense, but it made that part of it way easier. It's also much nicer. As I say often, and in, in sort of the way I think about it, John, is when I'm with a client, and, and I mean, I apply this in other aspects of my life, but speaking in this regard, when I'm with a client, I want to make sure that we are both on the same side of the desk and not across each other from the desk. Like I, I want to be next to them, working with them, to solve their problem with their computer, not them over there and me, you know, them versus me and their computer on the other side of the table where it's like somehow it becomes my fault that they had a problem with their computer that they called me about. It's very easy to happen because, of, you know, it's frustrating when you have a problem with something, you know, like your, your pipes are leaking. You call your plumber and you're like, dude, just fix it. Well, you know, it is your problem. The plumber can leave and go home to their house where there is no drip. Um, so, you know, it's that same kind of thing. Like, I appreciate you helping me, but but as as the consultant or the plumber or, you know, whatever it is, we can pave the path for that to be there. Like, I am here to help you. And then just keeping that in mind the whole way through and explaining options is a great way of doing it. So anyway, I like I said, I, I love this stuff. I love the craft of it as much as I love mm -hmm. actually doing it. So. Figured it was a good little ramble to have. I don't know. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. Yeah. Yep. No, I'm with you. It's it's better that it's you and the customer versus the problem versus you versus the customer. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it's very it's very easy to accidentally wind up in the latter scenario. And when you are there, it's super difficult to get yourself out of that. Like this. Like. How is this my fault? I've had to say that to some people. I'm like, well, we got to, we need to reset here. Like th this problem, I I'm here to help, but we both need to remember that this problem isn't my fault. You know, like it, <laughs> I, I didn't cause this. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, I always, the other thing I used to say, John, is uh, it was my job to prioritize other people's emergencies. Um and I didn't like that part of it, but it, that was a necessary part. You know, you get, you know, you wake up and you got three appointments and it's, and then, and then someone calls with an emergency and it's like, okay, how do I, how do I address that? And it's all contextual, right? Like what's the, 
what do I understand as the severity of your what to you is a critical emergency? Just kind of how it has to be. I, I would imagine that, you know, I'm not safe. I was never saving lives, fixing people's computers. Um, I can only imagine what it's like for people in like emergency rooms having to do exactly that. But with the stakes probably being a little bit higher. In fact, I'm understating that a lot higher. So, all right. Should we, uh, you want to talk about Jamie, John? Share Jamie's tip. Sure. Um, so Jamie says, and I can confirm this actually, um, many Mac mini users, both Intel and Apple Silicon have reported problems getting the display to come back on after sleep. Um, for anyone who has a Mac mini, if you drive your display with HDMI and have wake from sleep problems, get an external USB-C to HDMI adapter. I think any external adapter will work. I am using an anchor adapter. Uh, I also use the HDMI adapter built into the OWC Thunderbolt 3 mini dock with good results. I've never needed to turn my Mac mini off with the power key while using an external HDMI adapter. It was happening every day or two using the internal adapter. Uh, I spent many hours trying to diagnose and cure my wake from sleep issues, including many hours on the phone with an Apple senior advisor. There was no resolution. So if a dongle that costs less than 20 bucks fixes it, that's a win. That's a win. Yeah. 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 Personally, um, yeah, I had issues too. So I don't use the HDMI connector um, on the Mac mini. Um, I get a USB-C to display port for my primary primary display and a USB-C to DVI adapter for my secondary display. So I can, uh, I can confirm this. Yeah, I'm fortunate that I haven't seen this on my M1 Mini because with two monitors, I have to use HDMI for one of them. And then, uh, hmm. you know, going out the 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 USB-C port, you know, for display port for the other. Um, just because that's I mean, that's the way the M1 chip works. There's no. There's no workaround there. You can't do two out of DisplayPort. One has to be HDMI. One has to be DisplayPort. So, but I'm thinking about Lisa has an Intel Mini at the house, similar to yours. I think it's actually the same model as yours, John. And she occasionally has problems. I think we are running straight HDMI there. Maybe it's time to replace that and route things differently. So you're just going out the USB-C port. And, mm-hmm. and going to the going to HDMI that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, OK. I like this idea. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And I think. Um, uh, the USB-C, it's uh, Amazon Basics cable. Sure. Yeah. Any of them, I think. are. Yeah, that's good. OK. All right. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Um. Another follow-up from listener Ken uh, from last week's episode 904. He says, in your recent opening all the doors episode, you discussed the optimizing storage issue. I tackled limited storage by basically copping out. Uh, He says, I have a 2015 13-inch MacBook Pro that came with a 512 gig SSD. Last year, I upgraded the SSD to one terabyte with a new drive from OWC and somehow magically filled up a big part of that, too. How did I deal with my storage issues? Well, in July, I just bought an M1 iMac with a two terabyte SSD. 
Now, 1.26 terabytes are still available. <laughs> yeah, I've been, I'll say, unintentionally solving this problem that way. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it. you know, my, my storage space on my recent purchases or acquisitions of computers has been just going up. And I'm not proud of letting that happen, but. It is happening. So, you know, there you go. Yep. yep. No, I just had, I, I believe it or not, I just had this happen with my uh, MacBook Pro. Yeah. There was a software update um, for Xcode, which uh, is typically rather large. And I said update and it's like, uh, you don't have enough disk space. And I'm like, what? Don't you have a one terabyte drive in there? Yes. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I don't know if I have to reinstall the OS or something. Um, one way I've found of solving this problem. So APFS doesn't always release this space in a timely fashion. Yep. I found that going into recovery and running this utility actually, uh, nudges it to, uh, to get its act together. Oh, interesting. Really? Mm hmm. Huh. So, you can't just run disk utility in regular mode, though. You have to run it in recovery to do that. Um, I chose to run it in recovery. Okay. I suppose I could have run it locally as well. Did you have I to? should have run. You know what? I should have run Omni Disk Sweeper. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've just found that, it, again, uh, the, the free space doesn't appear magically. Instantly. No. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Um, I, I wonder there, there was a command in that I used in Unix to free up space called sync S Y N C and it was sync version eight. I would remember. Um, and it, it, yeah, if you do a man for sync, which is also sync eight, uh, it is there on Mac OS in the terminal. It forces a completion of pending disc rights, but that would, that would at least on whatever flavor of Linux, I was fighting with at the time that would be sort of the regular way of just like, yep, this will clean up. Now I don't know if that will trigger the finder to display the right free space for us, but, uh, but mm -hmm. it, you know, it might still clear it out. Yeah. Yeah. Alex, Alex in the chat room has some advice here. He says, try killing some cache files. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which Omni disk sweeper or clean my max space lens is probably even better with that. Uh, use spotlight to find apps that you haven't opened in a long time and delete them and all of their support files and dependencies. I like to use Hazel, uh, but app cleaner would also do it to help, you know, catch all of the files that need to go along with a, you know, with a, with a deletion. So, uh, so I'll put Hazel and app cleaner and clean my Mac. <laughs> uh, let's see. And he had one other, Oh yeah. Move your photos library. Right. Uh, you know, on my on my desktop, I have my photos library on an external drive and I have everything downloaded on my laptop. I have optimized storage turned on for my photos library. And that actually works. That's a wonderful way to move forward. Uh, so that would be my advice there. Are you doing are you letting your whole photos library download to your uh, to mm -hmm. your laptop, too? Yeah, it's about uh, 140 gigs. OK, okay. so big, but not like. You know, uh, it could be bigger. I yeah, suppose. but again, yeah. as as you know, I got a one terabyte SSD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I don't know how it 
you know, got to this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try, um, I, I've really, uh, I, I've really been a, become a fan of space lens inside of clean my Mac for telling me where things are. It's just, I, I don't know. It, it, I used Omni disc sweeper for a long time and then it got wonky with the whole full disc access thing. And you had to hold your mouth just right to get it to work. They've addressed a lot of that and it's back to being a little more uh, simple to use. However, clean my clean my Mac is just I don't know it it shows me what I want to see. I, I really like it. So, uh, let's go. Let's do some cool stuff found and get out of here, shall we, John? Um, you, you want to start us off with Paul? Oh, uh, yep. I, I can start with my thing if you want to. Uh, yeah, I'll start with my thing, and uh, and then we'll do Paul. So mm-hmm. mine is the Electjet Apollo Ultra power bank. I am always on the search for the right power bank to have in my backpack, like my carry bag that, that goes with me. And there's a couple things that I want it to be able to do. I want it to have uh, a, a USB a port so that I can plug something into it and charge, you know, something simple like a phone or an Apple watch or something like that. I also want it to have a USB C port with power delivery so that it can charge my laptop in a pinch. Uh, those are really the two Things and and it's that latter one being able to charge the laptop that has meant over the past couple of years I've needed to get bigger and fatter and heavier power banks to do that to to deliver power delivery. The reality though is I've never once actually needed to use one because today's laptops, especially the M ones, have battery life for you know twenty hours or fifteen hours or something. So you know it, it's it I am not finding myself in a scenario where I need like to have a few extra sips during the middle of the day, but I still want that as a backup because, you know, don't get caught. Well, the, this Electjet Apollo ultra is, I mean, it's tiny. If you're watching the video, you can see the size of it. It's about the size of an iPhone, maybe a little thicker. Uh, it's about the same weight as an iPhone. So really thin. It's only at only a 10,000 milliamp hour battery. Uh, but it has, um, it does have USB-C with power delivery. It'll deliver 87 Watts of power. Now it's not going to deliver. It's not going to fully charge your laptop because it's only 10,000 milliamp hours, but it's enough to give you a few sips to get you over the hump. And as it turns out with my life, that's what I need. And it's super lightweight. So I'm really stoked about this thing. We'll put a link in the, uh, in the show notes, of course, but it's from electjet.co. Uh, and they've, I'm, I'm, I'm happy about it. The Electjet Apollo ultra. And they, they, they say that it's live on Indiegogo, uh, at right now. So you can, you can get them, you get yours ordered. I will pull up pricing in a second, but I think it's using, I don't think it's using, it's using graphene, uh, to, to be the, the metal that stores the battery. I don't know. You know, it's like we've had gallium nitrate and or nitride. I don't remember G A N we'll call it. So I'll get it right. But now it's got graphene. And uh, and so that I think that helps with the weight uh, is how we're how we're getting there. But uh, I said I said 87 watts. My notes were wrong. 80 watts of charging capacity. So, yeah, very cool. I'm I'm stoked about this thing. And uh, looking on Indiegogo, at least at the moment, it's 69 bucks and you can have it delivered in January. So there you go. That's my thing. Do you uh did you come up with uh Paul's suggestion, John? Yes. Um so Paul says I found the site www.rsync.net 
cloud storage for offsite backup. It describes itself as we give you an empty Unix file system to access with any SSH tool built on ZFS for data security and fault tolerance. You can back up any other cloud with your rsync.net account. Uh, I thought this is something that John would appreciate. To me, it's the ultimate in cross-platform backup. You have rsync, you have backup. Huh. Okay, and their pricing looks reasonable, but it looks like they support more. So, so they list a whole bunch of um, things here on their page. So in addition to rsync, it looks like you could do SFTP, SCP, Borg, rclone, Rest tick. I haven't even heard of some of these things. <laughs> so, huh. there you go. I like this. That that's interesting. Um, so their their minimum pricing is ten bucks a month. It's two and a half cents per gig, up to a terabyte, and you've got a four hundred gig minimum order. Uh, actually, it's uh, up to ten terabytes. Sorry, and then at ten terabytes, it drops to two cents per gig. But so ten bucks a month, okay. You know we're we're getting past the, the the backblaze pricing and things like that, but you do have this flexibility. I the, my first thought was that you could use ARQ with this from Haystack Software, um, and ARQ works great. I have it backing up to a Minio store on which is an S three open source S three clone that I'm running on my Synology disk station, and that work. I mean that's flawless. Uh, and works really well, but this, um, yeah, I like this option. That's not bad. That's not bad. Huh? Yeah, they, they do. All right. So they do uh daily snapshots, um, uh, at different levels, um, unlimited email and phone support. Okay. That's nice. And the higher tier plans, uh, looks like they offer physical media shipment. So that's nice. Cool. Who uh, doesn't? Uh, who who else does that for you? Does which? Is it Backblaze? Uh, we'll ship you. Oh. We'll actually throw it on a hard drive for you. Yeah, wow. I think you're. I, I know they were doing it. I don't know if they're doing it still, but yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, very cool. Well, I think that. Um, I think that's going to bring us to the uh, to the end here. A couple of cool stuffs found, and we're on our way. Actually, you know what? Let's um, let's throw in uh, on Twitter. Dolcecita uh, tweeted that T-Mobile is offering a ten dollar credit uh, on your ten dollar per month credit if you are a T-Mobile customer and sign up for YouTube TV. So for those of you cutting the cord and uh, that are T-Mobile customers, you can save 10 bucks a month and get YouTube TV. I think that would make it 59 a month or something. So yeah, cool stuff. I like it. Thanks so much, everybody. As we said earlier in the show, feedback at MacGeekUp.com is where you can send things in, unless you're a premium listener, in which case it's premium at MacGeekUp.com. We'd love to hear from you either way. I think so. Feedback at MacGeekUp. Com. Feedback at MacGeekCub.com. That's correct. Uh, yeah. Go uh, go subscribe to our our newsletter. Go to MacGeekCub.com and, and subscribe there. You get the show notes delivered right to your doorstep or your email doorstep every week. That way you get all the links for all the things that we just talked about. The apps and the cool stuff found and the troubleshooting tips and all that stuff is right there. So go check it out. And there's also links to all our sponsors in there, too. So you can uh, go check those out, too. 
That's what I got. You got anything else for today, John? Nope. All right. Well, thanks for hanging out with us for uh, for the last hour and change, folks. Thanks for having fun with us. We got a little silly here with our uh, our change. Don't go changing. Or do. Change is good. Well, we'll be back next week. Until then, have a good week. Have fun. And don't get caught. Made up. See you next week, John. Man. No, you're getting caught. Somebody's like.